Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Carolina Casuals. I am Justin, and I am, of course, joined by my brother, Noah. Hello, everybody. Hope everybody's having a great week. We've got another exciting episode for you this week. But before we get started, I want to go ahead and remind you that if you're enjoying, make sure to leave a five-star review on wherever you get your podcasts from. While you're there, go ahead and leave a comment telling us what you think of this week's episode. Go ahead and follow us on both Facebook and Instagram at Carolina Casuals Podcasts. Follow us to stay up to date on all the most recent information regarding this podcast. There's a lot to get into this week, but let's begin with the shocker down in Chapel Hill. Undefeated North Carolina, ranked number 10, was hosting UVA team with one win on the season, and the Cavaliers went to Chapel Hill and upset them on the road. Tony Musket, the quarterback for Virginia, had 208 yards and a touchdown with an interception. Malik Washington had 115 of those yards on 12 catches and one touchdown. Drake May for UNC, 24 of 48, 347 with two touchdowns and an interception. Another great week for Tez Walker, 11 catches for 146 and a touchdown. And Amarian Hampton had 19 carries for 112 yards. Justin, usually when we see North Carolina have a, a near 350-yard passer, a 100-yard rusher, and a 100-yard receiver, that's a game they win. This was really, honestly, shocking to me, and I'm sure to you. What is their outlook now for the rest of the year? I mean, what should their goals be? What do they have left to play for? To be honest, it's a little hard to figure out how UNC lost this game. Virginia outrushed them a good bit, but turned the ball over more, struggled a bunch through the air, passing the ball. But the biggest key to me was fourth down, Carolina 0 for 2, Virginia 2 for 3. Not a lot of people believed that Virginia was going to win this game. I'm not entirely convinced that Virginia thought they could win this game. Carolina came out and played fine, but not good enough to win, not up to the standard that we've come accustomed to seeing from them this year. Drake May, let's be honest, was relatively average in this game. I mean, about 50% completion percentage. A ton of yards, but had the the interception, just two touchdown passes. If Carolina didn't have to win all their games now, they definitely have to from this point on. But even if they go 11-1, and I have a difficult time seeing how they find a way into the playoff from here. I think had they lost to a different team, I think it would be a different story. But when you lose to a team that's 1-5, and who has looked terrible thus far into the season. You give them their first win in conference, just their second win of the season. Virginia's only other win this year was against non-Division One William & Mary. I just I don't really see a road now for UNC. I know they're still ranked 17th. I know there's they still only have the one loss on their resume, but at this point, it feels like they're going to need a ton of help if they want to make the playoffs. So I think that's a bit out of reach. Now, the ACC obviously is still well within their grasp. They, at 3-1, and one, join Louisville, Duke, and Virginia Tech, who all have one loss. Of course, Duke we're going to get into a little bit later. Right now, FSU's in control of the ACC, but UNC does still have to play Duke. Duke and Louisville obviously play each other this weekend, which will knock a loss on one of them. So UNC is still very, very much in play for the ACC championship, and I think they should still 
feel pretty good about their chances, but they will have to play better than they did against Virginia if they are going to face Florida State in the ACC championship game. I think playoffs, I think we're going to have to eat eat our words on this one. Kudos to Virginia. I think playoff hopes are probably all but gone for UNC. I think it'll be really tough for them to try and get in, but I think ACC championship still very much in play for the Tar Heels, but it's it's hard to believe much beyond that. If this easily was one of, if not the most surprising losses of the year for me. I mean, to your point, this team had just come in just not looking good. And UNC looked like the last couple of weeks, especially last week with Tez Walker back, that they were really starting to find a groove. And it wasn't like the offense performed that badly. But, I mean, you gave up a hunt, you gave up 228 rushing yards to UVA. I mean, I think this was one where that run defense really, really showed. And the other thing that's in, in the box score is that UNC struggled on third down, was 4 of 13 on third down, and 0 of 2 on fourth down, whereas UVA was 8 of 18 on third down and 2 for 3 on fourth down. In terms of the outlook for UNC, I agree. It, it's not, I don't think the playoff hope is totally gone. But when I say that, I mean, they have to have utter, utter chaos in every other league. And I'm just not convinced that any of any of the other contenders, barring a blowout loss to an underperforming team, because the one thing UNC can say is at least this was still a close game. But unless one of the contenders loses badly to a team they shouldn't lose to, I don't see how there's another contender that can pick up a worse loss than the one UNC just picked up. And so I think playoff hopes for UNC, unfortunately, were dashed this weekend. And now it makes those game that like that game against Duke that much more important in a couple of weeks. With and, and if you look at this really for UNC, this was a missed opportunity. I mean, you had Duke playing Florida State this week, and we all figured everybody was probably figuring that Duke probably would pick up a loss in that game. Duke and Louisville was one of Duke or Louisville was then going to beat the other in in this upcoming week. If you're UNC, you're playing a UVA team that you have more talent than. And now you also are you sitting in the same boat with one loss with them. I mean, that I think was just a huge missed opportunity to have a little safety net and gain some ground. But I think really just surprising to me with how UNC had been playing. There is still certainly something to play for with the ACC championship, which they came oh so close to winning last year redeeming themselves with that. And then obviously a trip to the orange bowl and, or another new year's six bowl. But this one, I think stings if you're UNC and I'll be interested to see what they look like in the next couple of weeks. Well, and something from this game that the box score won't tell you that's really disappointing is the score for Virginia should have been higher. I mean, if it weren't for two freak turnovers on the goal line, Virginia could have very easily had 45 points and I think that's what's hard to believe for North Carolina is their defense against Virginia was atrocious, especially against a team that has struggled to move the ball offensively this year. I mean, they probably should have given up at least 38 points because that fumble in the fourth quarter on the goal line, 
I mean, he just lost, he just lost the ball. I mean, it wasn't really forced out or poked out or anything like that. He just kind of dropped it on the goal line. And so it's definitely it probably given up at least 38. So the fact that they only lost by four is not good. And I mean, it's one thing to lose on the road, get upset when you're on the road, but Carolina was at home, especially when you're playing a team like Virginia who had struggled like they had. That's a game that you should win and should win comfortably. And the fact that they let Virginia come in and get a win on their home turf, that's going to be a tough pill for them to swallow, and it's going to be a tough loss, I think, for committees down the line to overlook when they're comparing them to other teams that might have one loss vying for a playoff spot. I think the thing to be concerned about if you're a UNC fan is outside of the Campbell game, obviously that's FBS versus FCS, that was probably the easiest game left on UNC's schedule. Their schedule at this point includes three tough road games. This weekend with Georgia Tech all of a sudden looks tougher than we initially thought it might be. Um, You get to host Duke, which has proven to be a scrappy team, and then back-to-back weeks at Clemson at NC State. It's two not easy places to play, and you lost what was probably the easiest game left on your schedule. It hurts, I think, for the UNC fans out there because just looking at what's ahead and how it had been playing is almost just kind of like I'm even asking here what what happened. Like I said, all is not lost, but boy, I think there's a, some aspirations got clipped a little bit this week. Let's move on now down to South Beach where the Miami Hurricanes hosted the Clemson Tigers. And in a double overtime thriller, it was the Hurricanes who pick up the win at home over the Clemson Tigers 28-20. to Backup quarterback for the Hurricanes, Emery Williams, stepping in for the injured Tyler Van Dyke, goes 24 of 33 for 151 with a touchdown and a pick. Brashard Smith on the ground with four carries for 87 yards was the leading rusher for Miami. Their main ball carrier, Donald Cheney Jr., had 17 for 63. And A.J. Allen had 16 for 54. Colby Young led all Miami receivers with 76 yards and a touchdown on six catches. Cade Klubnick for the Tigers, 18 of 34, 314, two touchdowns and a pick. Will Shipley not really able to get anything going on the ground, 15 carries for 44 yards. Jake Brenningstool, the tight end, leading the way, receiving with five catches for 126 and two touchdowns, the best for all receivers. Clemson plagued once again by turnovers, three total on the game. Noah, this was a very competitive game between these two teams, but more of Clemson shooting themselves in the foot, and Miami picks up the win. I wanted to say this a couple weeks ago, but you reminded me to give it some more time and see what happens. And I only got to see the end of this game. But what I saw at the very end of the game, I think, was enough for me to be able to say this. I'm not sure if Cade Klubnik is the guy. He's a solid quarterback. He's made some big plays. He's still through for 300 yards. But 18 of 34 is not a great completion percentage. And in some of their biggest moments, he's had some questionable decision-making and some turnover issues. And... Just some throws that you just kind of sit there just like, how did he miss that? 
And Cade is just not developed like we thought. I've questioned Garrett Riley's play calling multiple times throughout the year. And I think it's just, that's all really I need to say. I think, I think everybody's going to want to hear from the resident Clemson fan, but that's the main thing I want to say is just, I, I think maybe it's time to wonder whether Cade Klubnik is the guy to lead Clemson. I don't, I don't, I have not seen a lot of good this year from Cade Klubnik. Yeah, I agree on Cade. I, in his first year starting, I wanted to give him time. I wanted to give him a chance to get acclimated, but this is just, it's not working. And I don't know if it's him. I don't know if it's Garrett Riley, but what I will say about Cade is that overtime, that second overtime, fourth and goal from the one or two yard line play call in was a, was a handoff just a straight handoff to Will Shipley. And Cade goes rogue, decides to keep the ball himself, try to run to the outside, and gets tackled for a five-yard loss, and we lose the game. And that's the kind of play that, as a quarterback, you can't make that play. Because if it works, great, you're the hero. The issue that I had with it was right before that play, there was a timeout called, and Tim Hasselback, who was on the call, made the comment, you know, Clemson hasn't run an option play since the first quarter. I wonder if maybe they'll run one here. And if Hasselback is making that point, and if he knows that it's probably coming, guess what? I bet the Miami coaches have that sense too. He, I guess Cade maybe expected the, the, the defensive lineman to crash on the running back, and he did not. And Cade didn't even read him. Cade just kept it. That is a That's a tough look. But that's, as you said, poor decision-making from the one guy on the field. You cannot afford to be having that poor decision-making. I'm running out of patience for him. And I think it's, I don't know if there's, maybe there's not a better option right now on the roster. I know the talent around him has been questionable for parts of the year and has been spotty. I think Brenningstool proved that, he maybe should be getting more touches with the football after yesterday's game, but I'm not, I'm with you. I'm not sure Cade's the guy going forward. I think there needs to be serious reconsideration, especially if we go and drop a game this week against NC state. Now, the other thing I will say is I think for good reason, I think Dabo Sweeney's position I'm not sure he's on the hot seat yet, but I hope that the seat warmer is getting turned up because for the standard that he set for this program, this ain't good enough. And I would hope that he would be the first person to say that, that this is not good enough. And you're looking at a team right now that's four and three, that is four losses away from not being bowl eligible and you still have a game against NC State, Notre Dame, Georgia Tech, North Carolina, and South Carolina. Two of those games right now look like guaranteed losses with Notre Dame and North Carolina, which means two of three leave you the chance to get bowl eligible. Just the fact that we're even having that conversation is below the standard. This is this is not going to be a 10-win team. And I think Clemson will be fortunate if they 
get eight this season, if we're being completely honest. I Like I said, I still believe he's a good coach, but he's got to start proving it again. And I like I said, I'm not calling for his head yet, but the seat better be getting warm because for the standards he has set for this school, this ain't good enough. Let's move on now to some quick takes from the past weekend of Carolina football, starting with the biggest game of the week coming in, number four, Florida State, hosting number 16, Duke, and it was the Seminoles picking up the win 38-20. to Jordan Travis, 27 of 36 for 268 with two touchdowns and an interception. Riley Leonard, 7 of 16 for 69 yards with a pick. He did leave the game in the third quarter after re-aggravating the high ankle sprain injury that he picked up against Notre Dame. And at that point in time, Duke was leading 20-17 to when he exited. And after that, Florida State scoring 21 unanswered points to take control of this game. Noah, obviously Riley Leonard's injury hurt, but... The way the game was going, it kind of felt like Florida State was probably going to end up finding a way. I think they, I do think that, but I think it would have been a much closer game because what also needs to be remembered is not only was Riley Leonard, not only did it change after that, Duke was up three and driving. They had a fourth and goal inside the five to potentially go up either 27 17 or even 23 17 after Riley Leonard had left. I'd just like to say first, I'm very proud of Duke football. I saw the stat today. Duke, it was the most watched game at peaking at about 5 million viewers. And the fact that Duke football was a part of that was awesome. And Duke, especially defensively, controlled this game. I think, and then the defense started to wear down and Florida State was able to just assert their talent. But I think Duke still showed the nation that they're a really good team. And I hope, I hope that this doesn't cost Duke down the road. Elko's decision to play Riley Leonard hope this doesn't cost them down the road against Louisville or anybody else because if we think big picture of what they can do. But valiant effort by the Blue Devils down in Tallahassee, even much more than I thought. Let's move on now to Winston-Salem, North Carolina, where the Wake Forest Demon Deacons were hosting the Pittsburgh Panthers. What a game this was, a low-scoring affair, but offense explosion in the fourth quarter. And with seven seconds left, it was Cameron Hite catching the 15-yard pass from Marucci to put Wake Forest on top 21-17. to It was Marucci 12 of 21 for 151 with a touchdown and two picks. Not the cleanest game for him. Pittsburgh quarterback, and I'm sorry if I say this wrong, but Christian Velu. The sophomore goes 28 of 45 for 302 and two touchdowns. Kind of an ugly game for most of this one, but Wake Forest finding a way once again to win this game late. Yeah, what an exciting finish to this one with three touchdowns in the final three minutes. This was a big one for Wake because their schedule coming up in the ACC included Florida State, Duke, and NC State, and Syracuse. And That was going to be four tough games for getting a conference win. But what a great win for Wake to maybe give them some confidence heading into this week against Florida State. Next up, it was South Carolina traveling out to Missouri to play the Tigers. And Missouri 
took care of business against the Gamecocks, 34-12, to the final score. Just four field goals for the Gamecocks. Spencer Radler going 23-40 of for 217 with a pick. Huge day on the ground for the Tigers as Schrader goes 26 carries for 159 and two touchdowns. Noah, maybe what we expected from the Gamecocks going against the Tigers, but nonetheless, they're now 2-5 and five as the season starts to get more and more bleak. Yeah, speaking of hot seats, and I say that because Sunday morning when I went into church, I know several South, I have several people in the choir that are South Carolina fans, and I can just tell listening to their conversation, they are not happy with what is going on. And this was a year of great, of pretty good expectation for South Carolina. And right now it is blowing up. Missouri is a good, a good team. I think they're a really good team, but 34 to 12, 24 nothing after two quarters. I think it just gets tougher and tougher for South Carolina fans to swallow and six more sacks against Spencer Rattler. There's only, he's still playing decently. I mean, he's, his play has diminished a little bit over the last couple of weeks, but man, it's, it's a struggle right now for South Carolina and I can understand their fans frustration. It makes me wonder if Shane Beamer survives this year. And one last quick take for everyone, our, Second featured team this week, bit of a special highlight for the Furman Paladins. Yeah. Are, for those that don't know, Furman ranked third right now in the FCS, playing top 15 Western Carolina. And Furman goes on the road and wins 29 to 17. Huff, Furman's quarterback, goes 13 of 22 for 174 with two touchdowns. Roberto on the ground, 31 carries for 154 and a touchdown. They forced two picks out of Western Carolina quarterback Gonzalez. Noah, I know you are excited. Furman moves to six and one. Their only loss being to FBS South Carolina on the road. Still third ranked in the FCS. I know you all are happy about your Paladins. I, I was worried about this one going in because Western Carolina had a high flying offense and we did we had played a couple of close games the last couple of weeks. I I was worried about this one, but Man, we're playing well, and I'm hoping that continues this week with ETSU, and then we have a big one next week, assuming we win against Chattanooga that could potentially decide the fate of the SoCon. So very proud of this week. I just have to hope the momentum keeps on going forward. Let's move on to our previews for the upcoming week in football. We're going to start in the college ranks down in Atlanta, 8 o'clock Eastern on Saturday night, where number 17 UNC trying to bounce back from the loss to Virginia against Georgia Tech. UNC, 11.5-point road favorite. Justin, this one looked a little bit easier to decide before this past week. You think UNC bounces back? Well, I'd like to say that Carolina should not have any problems winning this game, but I felt that way about at home against Virginia, and we saw how that one went. But with that said, UNC should be able to win this game. Georgia Tech has played decently but not necessarily in the upper echelon of teams maybe virginia will serve as a wake-up call for unc and i think it will i think the defense is going to really want to prove that last week was just a fluke i think north carolina wins and i do think they will cover the 11 and a half i think north carolina is going to wake up after a disappointing week last week 
I think if North Carolina covers the 11 and a half, it'll be late. Um, it just has one of those feelings of at least early. Maybe UNC is a little bit drained after the shocking game last week. I think it'll be closer than it needs to be, but I think this is one of those where UNC's offense will score enough to beat Georgia Tech. Uh, but I won't be surprised if this is inside 11 and a half, but I do think UNC wins on the road and bounces back. Let's move on to Winston-Salem, North Carolina, where number four Florida State travels to play Wake Forest. Florida State, a 20 and a half point favorite, and Wake pulled the upset against the, t- against the top ranks, against the number four Seminoles. Wake has been too inconsistent this year, let alone now playing the best team in the conference and one of the best teams in the country. I think Florida State is going to come into Wake Forest. While stranger things have happened in recent memory, UVA going into North Carolina and winning, but I I do think Florida State will pretty comfortably be able to win this game. I just don't think Wake is going to be able to do enough to keep up with Florida State's offense. I wanna I wanna pick Wake so bad because Florida State the last Florida State last couple weeks they dominated Syracuse before Duke which was good but they've had several games this year that have hung around BC nearly beat them Clemson obviously played them well and like I said Duke was up for three quarters in that game this can almost kind of feel like a letdown heading up to Wake I think what saves Florida State is the fact that they see that UNC lost last week. And they, I think that'll kind of be for this week. The, all right, we can't lose our focus because otherwise what happened to UNC might happen to us. So I think Florida state wins. I think wake's going to hang around for a little bit just because it has that feeling for me of one of those games, but I do think Florida state pulls away, wins it by 17. Let's move on to the Southeastern conference. Now South Carolina traveling to Texas A&M. Texas A&M a 14-point favorite at home. Texas A&M off a bye week. Obviously, South Carolina off of the blowout loss to Missouri. Justin, who you got for this one? All of a sudden, this game feels like South Carolina season is on the line here. I mean, if if they can't steal a win against Texas A&M, I'm not sure this team's going to be going bowling. So this feels like a gotta-have-it for South Carolina and unfortunately, their gotta have it game is on the road at Texas A&M, which is notoriously a difficult place to play. I just I don't have faith in this South Carolina team right now. I just they just don't have anything going for them. They've got two wins on the season, one of which is against FCS Furman. I know Furman is a good FCS team, but South Carolina should be beating Furman. So I I just I can't convince myself to think that South Carolina will win this game. I think they'll stay inside of the 14 because they're going to be playing, I think, a little desperate. But I do think Texas A&M is going to win a close game. I'm going to disagree with you. I'm going to go with South Carolina for that very reason of this is, I think, the game that can save their season. And quite honestly, this this feels like the game that Jimbo Fisher should win. So he won't. Um, he's been known for those games throughout his career. And I think South Carolina knows their seasons on the line and I think they play like it. And I think they win a close one in college station and it's a noon kickoff. So the environment may not be as rowdy as it might've been. Um, so I'm going to take South Carolina in a close one and let's move on to a battle of Carolina schools, Clemson traveling to NC state. 
Clemson is a 10-point favorite in this game, which after last week seems to surprise me a little bit. Justin, does Clemson bounce back and potentially save their season? This is like the battle of who do you trust slightly more than the other one because both of these teams have not given you any reason to believe that they're going anywhere. I State always plays Clemson tough, but until a couple years ago, they never really had figured out how to get over the hump. This is going to be a game that I'm going to pick out of sheer if they don't win this game. I think all, all hell will break loose. I'm going to pick Clemson to win. I think they've been a little more consistent than NC State. That's not saying much. But this just feels like one of those that if Clemson does lose this game, I I think I think seats are going to get hot fast for the Tigers. I'm going to go with Clemson. I I honestly don't know how this is a ten point spread because I'm not sure either team can get to ten points. I think this is going to be a low scoring game because NC State's defense is solid. I, just, I haven't seen enough really from NC State's offense to make me believe they're going to score enough on Clemson, and I think. Clemson will find a way. Will Shipley will run for a late touchdown. This can this could be like a a 14-3, 17-3 type of game. I mean, it, it's gonna be very low scoring, but I think Clemson will win. And I agree. If if Clemson loses, ooh, there's gonna be some words in Death Valley. Move on to a ranked battle in Louisville. Number 20, Duke traveling to number 18, Louisville. Louisville coming off a bye last week. Duke coming off the hard-fought loss at Florida State. Louisville is a four-point favorite at home. Justin, who you got in this one? This should be a very good game, barring Riley Leonard's situation. I refuse to believe that Beelan right now is capable of beating Louisville. I just have not seen enough in the two chances we've had to see him that that makes me believe he can get them over the hump. So a lot of this is depending upon Riley's health. I think if Riley doesn't play, I think Louisville, especially being at home, will win this game. I think if Riley does play, I think Duke's chances go up dramatically. And I think if Riley is out there, I think Duke will win a very close game against Louisville. But I I think without him, I think the offense will really struggle to move the ball just because of what they can do play calling wise. So I think it's I think it's gonna be dependent on what he can do as to if they beat Louisville. I think either way it'll be close because I think Duke's defense will keep Louisville scoring down. Uh but I think Riley Leonard could be the difference between Duke scoring 10 points and Duke scoring 21 points. And that might be enough to win. I think Duke wins, whether Riley plays or not. I think it's just a matter of, is it how close it ends up being? And it's for the sole reason of I'm sold on Duke's defense at this point. I mean, they are, they are legit. And Louisville has spent much of the year playing close games. And then the, the moment they had their game that they didn't play very well, they got rocked by Pitt. And I think this is one where Riley plays the off Riley later plays. I think the offense will be able to do enough on its own, even with the defense. I think if, even if Riley doesn't play, the offense will score 
because of the running game, but the defense, I think, will carry the day no matter what. So I think Duke wins whether Riley Leonard plays or not. And the final game, moving to the NFL now, the Panthers hosting the Texans. It's the battle of the top two picks, Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud. Houston is a three-point road favorite, which sometimes those are hard to find in the NFL. Panthers obviously coming off the bye week and coming off the week where they are making a switch at play calling to Thomas Brown instead of Frank Reich. Justin, who you got? So I think it's going to be an interesting game. I think this will be a good game. I think the Panthers have made strides through the first couple weeks. The defense needs to show up in this game. Hopefully, maybe they're going to be a little more healthy for this week. Getting Austin Corbett back for the offensive line is going to be helpful for them. I'm actually going to say that the Panthers will find a way to get win number one. I think there's enough trending here going on that I think they can they can find a way to beat Houston. So what's interesting here is both teams are coming off bye weeks. And I think what I see here is we talked about got to have it games with a couple of teams in college football. I think if you're the Panthers, this is your got to have it game. You're 0-6. You're the only winless team in football. You've made a switch at play calling to see if that helps. I think if the Panthers don't win, or at least if the offense doesn't look good, because the defense might give up some points because of just all the injuries going on in the defense. But if the Panthers don't win, or if the offense doesn't look good, it's going to get even worse, I think, down with the Panthers. So I'm going to pick the Panthers because I think this is truly for them a gotta have it, or at least gotta play well. Let's move on now to our final segment, our favorite moment. Obviously we talk a lot about football in the Carolinas on this show, but the the sport expands beyond just the two States. And we want to use this opportunity to share our favorite moment from this week across the football landscape. And for this week, we're actually going to the NFL Sunday in the NFL was a holiday for those that don't know in recent years, it has been instituted as national tight end day a day that we recognize and celebrate all that tight ends do for the sport of football. It's always a lot of fun. All the tight ends get mic'd up and it's just a fun day, but would it be a holiday if we didn't have an Ebenezer Scrooge? And let me tell you, Arthur Smith might be the biggest Scrooge that National Tight End Day has ever seen. Why? Not because he sat out Kyle Pitts or anything. No, only because he went and angered every fantasy football manager in the United States. Unless you were playing against Bijan Robinson this week. Because he did not tell anybody that Bijan Robinson was sick and wasn't going to play until halftime. If you've never played fantasy football, once you put a player in your lineup and the game starts, you can't take them out. Bijan Robinson scored, I think, three-tenths of a point this week for getting one carry for three yards. Needless to say, Twitter was quite entertaining this Sunday watching people who owned Bijan Robinson in fantasy football go off on Arthur Smith for basically losing them their matchup this week, including our own resident 
analyst Noah Mofield, who happens to have Bijan Robinson in a league. I'm in a league with several Furman friends and professors, and my team is currently the worst team in the league. We are now one in six. And it's already bad enough that I had to start a quarterback this week and Deshaun Watson, who got negative 1.8 points because he got five yards in an interception and then was injured. But I'm not even mad at him. I'm mad at Arthur Smith because I'm, I'm, I get back from my beautiful, peaceful little lunch on Sunday. And I'm like, I'm going to go check my fantasy lineups. And I look and I see Bijan Robinson has zero carries for zero yards. And I'm like, huh, that's weird. But he doesn't have a questionable tag or anything. So I Google it to see what's going on. And all the articles I see just say, Bijan Robinson hasn't played much and no one knows why. And then I see it come out that he said on the broadcast that he's not feeling well. And so we weren't going to play him much. And I, all I want to say to Arthur Smith is, Arthur, I know you don't care a lot about fantasy football. I get that. But can you at least tell us if, you know, you're not going to play your guy that a lot of us have? Because sitting on my bench was guy were people like George Pickens, who got an additional 15 points in a week where I had my quarterback get negative 1.8. I'm not even mad at him. I'm not even mad at Austin Eckler, my top pick, who only got 5.6 because for some reason Brandon Staley didn't give him the ball a lot. No, I'm mad at Arthur Smith for his lack of communication. And any other people who have B. John Robinson on their fantasy teams, I'm sure you all feel the same pain. That's all I have to say. Thank you all so much for joining us again this week on the Carolina Casuals. If you enjoyed, make sure you leave a five-star review on wherever it is you get your podcasts from. While you're there, go ahead and make sure you leave a comment below giving your thoughts on this week's games as well as what you think of what's coming up in the Carolinas. Make sure you're following us on both Facebook and Instagram at Carolina Casuals Podcast. Follow us to stay up to date on all the most recent information regarding this podcast. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in this week. And we'll see you next time as we recap another week of college football as well as the return of the Panthers off their bye week. Have a great one, everyone.